cool. I like these books that we know the story of, but maybe we've never really studied them that deeply. We just like we know the stories and think we know it. Because there's so much more in every book of the Bible than what we really realize, always. It's always more. Uh, and so it's, it's helpful to kind of look even at stories we've known well for a long time and just look at what they're really saying. Now, we know that Jonah was a prophet of God. He's mentioned in 2 Kings 14.25 with a prophecy that he made in Israel regarding Jeroboam II's reign. So he's a real prophet uh, like the others. Now, the story is not so much like some of the other books of the prophets. But uh, Jonah is a man that God has used as his spokesman uh, in the past. So uh, let's uh, start working on this, and we'll kind of give introductory material as we go. Can somebody read Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 to 3? Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for the wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down to it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. All right, so the book begins with the word of the Lord. I mean, that's what starts this whole thing. And uh, the word of the Lord to Jonah was to do what? Go to Nineveh. Go to Nineveh. What do you know about Nineveh? Very sinful. Very sinful. Very large and powerful. Large, powerful city of what country? Assyria. Assyria was a pretty important country at this point. What were they most noted for? Their road system. Was it their road system? No, no, no. Not that I know of. What I'm thinking about is their cruelty. They were very violent harsh, fierce people, and not particular, particularly popular with the Israelites for a variety of reasons. Eventually, Assyria will be uh, the nation that destroys Israel and almost destroys Judah. Um, and God tells Jonah to get up and go to Nineveh, uh, the great city. And to, to speak against it. So Jonah has the honor of being called by God as one of uh, Israel's first foreign uh, missionaries. I mean, you think about it, it's not so common for the prophets to be going to a non-Israelite city to preach to non-Israelite peoples. But that's what God is giving Jonah the opportunity to do. Maybe it's more than giving him the opportunity, really, he issues orders. You know, he says, arise, go to Nineveh, cry against it. Uh, God, uh, God doesn't, is not really a negotiator. He gives the uh, orders for a man to fulfill. And the reason why he wants him to go to Nineveh is really wicked. So you read in verse 3, Jonah rose up. Now God said, arise, go. Jonah rose up. And you might be expecting him to head toward Nineveh, but he goes in the complete opposite direction, ever so casually. He chooses his own destination, which is Tarshish on the other end of the world. God says, go west, he fled east. What's the idea of that?
What's he trying to do? Trying to avoid doing what God told him. He's trying not to go to Nineveh. What is he trying to do? Get away from the presence of the Lord. That's really what he was doing. You might think about that. When we choose to rebel against God, we normally don't like to hang around him. You ever noticed how, you know, if you're just really not doing well spiritually, suddenly Bible study is boring, suddenly you have no time to pray, suddenly all the brethren are, you know, annoying and you hate spending time around them, and, you know, worship is stupid and you don't want to go and all that. You notice how that works? You know, think about the prodigal son. When he decided to rebel against his father, where did he go? A far country. You know, you don't want to be around God when you're rebelling. So that's kind of the idea. Of course, when you choose to flee from God, what direction do you go? Opposite. Look at this. He went, what direction to Java? What does it say? Down. Down. And then into the ship he went down. And then the next chapter he will go down, down, down. There's only one way to go when you're trying to get away from God and that's down. I suspect that's making an intentional point of that here. Um, he descends vertically from the presence of the Lord. Um, so he, he goes to Joppa. Now Joppa would be a port city. He's looking for a ship on the way to Tarshish, which is about as far west as you could go in that time. And sure enough, there's a ship going, and he's got the money for the fare. You know, it almost looks like it's providential. You know, everything just clicked. You know, it just uh, fit together. I mean, you might get to Joppa and the last ship to Tarshish had just left, you know, who knows. Or maybe they'd be charging more than what you had. But everything just work, works well. And you might think about the fact that, uh, you know, the, the way to destruction is an easy way, a broad way. You know, when things just work really well, it's like, oh, God must be behind this, because look at how easy everything's being. Well, not necessarily. You know, Satan will provide some ease in doing the wrong thing. So, he's on the ship, on his way to Tarshish, other side of the world from Nineveh. Thoughts and comments about this? Well, four to six. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid, and cried every man unto his God, and cast forth the wave, <clears throat> the wares that were in the ship into the sea, to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God. If so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. Now, Jonah finds out that it's not so easy to resign from the Lord's mission. You know, because uh, the Lord strikes back. What does he do here? He sends a storm. Yes. 
Literally, it says he hurls a great wind. By the way, nearly everything in Jonah is great. We've already had a great city, now it's a great wind and a great storm, and there'll be a lot of other great things in, in the book of Jonah. But he, but he hurls this great wind. I love the visual on that. Could you imagine God just throwing down this great wind and it creates a terrible storm on the uh, sea? And that affects not only Jonah, but everybody on board the ship. Disobedience rarely damages only the sinner. Usually it hurts other people around him as well, and it does in this case. So, what does the crew on board the ship do first? Throw the cargo. Nope. What do they do first? Cry out to their gods. Cry out to their gods. They're afraid, and they cry out to their gods. I'm guessing this is probably an international crew, and so each person from various nationalities has their own set of gods. And that's the first thing they do. Only after they've prayed to their gods do they start taking other precautionary measures. Uh, I think that shows you something. They don't know the true God. They don't know really who God is. But they do understand that they need divine, supernatural help to deal with this storm. They are, they are God-fearing people, you might say. Uh, but the storm still rages, so they must not have hit upon the right God yet. So the second thing they do is throw the cargo into the sea. Now, you understand why you do that? Why? It would lighten the ship and it would stay on top of the water better. Exactly. So it's less likely to take on water that could sink the ship. It's interesting, though. The Lord throws the wind. They perform a counter throw. But they can't throw as well as the Lord can. So they can throw the cargo overboard, but it still doesn't deal with the problem. Neither religion, their prayers, nor works, their throwing the cargo, is really the solution to the problem. It's interesting also that uh, this sort of foreshadows Jonah's fate. He will be another part of the cargo thrown overboard eventually. But that doesn't work. So plan A was to pray to their gods. Plan B is to throw the cargo overboard. And things are still in bad shape. What's plan C? Get more gods involved? Uh, yeah, exactly. What did they do to do that? Wake up Jonah. Yes, absolutely. They woke Jonah. He's down below sleeping. You would not think it would be that easy to sleep in a storm like this. wonder what that tells you about Jonah. He's a heavy sleeper. He's a heavy sleeper, maybe. <laughs> would he have a reason to be a heavy sleeper? You're exactly right. Have you ever done that? Sleep just to avoid something you don't want to uh, deal with. You know, people do a lot of escape things. I mean, you normally think of an escape thing as being like, I don't know, hitting the bottle or, you know, get high or, you know, something like that. Well, sleep is an avoidance thing, too. You can flee from something that you don't want to face by sleeping. It makes you wonder if Jonah wasn't just trying to sleep off this call of God he wasn't heeding. 
I don't know, maybe not, but it makes you wonder. And so it's interesting that the captain says, get up, call on your God. That's kind of funny, because what did God say to do in verse 2? Arise, go. He's hearing an echo of what God says. You know, God said, get up, he goes down. And now the, uh, you know, captain says, get up, you know, and uh, it's kind of ironic. Um, what does he want Jonah to do? Call on your God. You know, maybe it's Jonah's God that would have the solution to the problem. It's kind of a sad commentary that Jonah, the prophet of God, has to be prodded into praying by a heathen ship captain. And I don't know whether he actually even prayed at that point or not. The text doesn't really say. I think it's also interesting. I could see the captain coming to Jonah and saying, why aren't you helping? But he said, why aren't you praying? You again see that the pagans on board the ship are more focused on the need for help from gods than they are even for what they're going to do. So he wants Jonah to pray also. He says, perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. Now, he understands that the gods aren't genies that are just doing whatever we ask them. So there's a perhaps, you know, we we won't presume on this, but we're hopeful that perhaps this would be a helpful thing for us um, so that we will not perish. So that's, uh, that's what he asked Jonah to do. Thoughts or comments on these preliminary moves by the sailors on board the ship? Yeah, Gary. I think it's an interesting <clears throat> comparison when he goes down and he's like sleeping. Like when people fall into a sinful state, they don't notice the storm that rages around them. And so like, you know, they're, they're lost to the world around them. And so like it takes, you know, someone to like say, hey, you need to do something. And like sometimes that's us, but sometimes we're the people in the storm not realizing that, that things have gone awry. So like there's two places you can be in that situation. Yeah, good point. Yeah. Good point. I also noticed that they like go to different things other than the actual God. They go to what they want to look at. Or what they knew about, yes. But that's right. And so what we know is those idol gods are never going to help them a bit, you know, uh, when it's all said and done. No wonder that didn't stop the storm. Other thoughts? 7 to 12. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause his trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Please tell us, for whose cause is his trouble upon us? What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? So he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid, and said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he flew fled from the presence of the Lord, because they, he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea, and the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. So, um, you've got uh, the plan, what, D now? What do they do in verse 7? Cast lots. To, for what purpose? 
Yes. Find out who rocked the boat, right? Uh, Jonah wins the lottery or loses it. Of course, we understand from Proverbs 16.33 that the Lord controls the result of the casting of the lot. The lot falls on Jonah and they realize, oh, he's the guilty party. So they storm him with a bunch of questions. And you look at their questions in verse 8. Most of their questions focus on basically one question when it's all said and done. What do they mostly want to know uh, from Jonah? What God do you serve? Exactly. Where are you from so they know what God it is that's responsible for this so they can try to figure out what they're supposed to do to uh, please that God. That's exactly what they're doing. And Jonah's response is interesting. Verse 9. I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Now what do you think about that response on Jonah's part? It's interesting considering that he fled from the presence of God. It is, isn't it? Now, in one sense you must say, Jonah knows the creed. I mean, is he right? Is the Lord God the God of heaven? Did he make the sea and the dry land? Does Jonah fear him? (laughs) See, there's the problem. It's like, how can you know all about God and not obey him? That's the thing that doesn't make sense. I mean, this is a great doctrinal statement. I'd like to have Job on, or Jonah on my debate team. You know, he can, he's got it right down. You know, he's, he's almost, uh, I wonder if he's not almost a little proudly saying, hey, I fear the Lord God of heaven, in contrast to you pagans. He's the one that made the land and the sea. But does it do any good to be able to recite the creed if you're not going to live by it? You know, that's the thing that's... Uh, kind of uh, ridiculous. And uh, by the way, he was fleeing uh, where? Uh, Where was he while he was fleeing? On the sea that God made. If you're going to flee from God, don't try to do it on the sea that he made. Or the earth that he made. Or the earth that he made. You're going to have a hard time with that. Have you thought about, I've often thought, you remember where Adam and Eve tried to hide? Where? In the bushes. In the trees of the, whose garden? You're going to try to hide from God, don't try to hide in his garden. Then again, where are you going to try to hide, right? So, you know, once you start working through the logic of those things, uh, there's not much. Um, Well, the men say in verse 10, how could you do this? Jonah 1.10. Uh, because they knew about what he was doing. He told them. He told them what they were doing. It's kind of humiliating to be rebuked justly by a pagan. You know, they are horrified to imagine Jonah would just defy his God like this. You know, the ship captain seemed to grasp the seriousness of his disobedience more than Jonah did. It was like, how could you do this? You know, and and it's just kind of like so odd that the guy who knows God is the guy who's disobeying him. 
So they finally, in despair, turn to Jonah and ask him what? What do we have to do to get this sea calm? And what does he say? What seems strange about that to you? Statement? Yeah! I mean, it's like, wow! He's so calm and cool about this. Well, I know what you need to do. Just throw me overboard and everything will be okay. <laughs> uh, like, just shoot me, you know? <laughs> what do you see in that with Jonah? Why would he do that? Why would he say that? Perhaps them calling him out for what he did made him realize. Okay, and he's right that the only adequate throw will be to throw him, but but still he's so calm about this, Garrett. Maybe he didn't fear the Lord, but he trusted him. Or maybe, what was he trying to do? Did not want to go to Nineveh. So, you know, he'd rather die than repent. You know, I mean, if they throw him overboard and he drowns, he's not going to have to go to Nineveh, right? It's like, whoa. He really didn't want to go to Nineveh. By the way, at this point, we don't have any idea why he didn't go, want to go to Nineveh. If you've really studied the book, you know. If you haven't really studied the book, your guess is wrong. <laughs> you know. Uh, but we'll find out eventually. But we sure do find out he doesn't want to go to Nineveh. You know, whatever it takes, just throw me overboard then. Well, I have thoughts and comments through 112. John. I think it's interesting, and I kind of see myself in this, unfortunately, to where the people around him didn't actually know that he was a prophet of God. And I kind of wonder how many people around us don't actually know that we're Christians and god fearing It would have been hard to figure it out by his behavior, wouldn't it? You know, that's kind of sad. You're right. Other thoughts? I think it's interesting how much the, you know, the world knows what kind of people we're supposed to be. Right, and I think oftentimes you might sit down and study with someone, and they're like, "Well, you're not what you need to be." You know why not? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Once you know God, it doesn't make sense why somebody who says he follows him doesn't follow him, right? And people see that it's it's clear to them. Absolutely. Yeah. Good points. Other thoughts? I just. I feel like we we bash Jonah a lot because he's constantly running from God, constantly making all these mistakes, rightfully so. But I don't think, I think, I think we fall under Jonah's category more than we are able to see. How many times do we not do what God wants us to do just because we're afraid or intimidated or just don't want to? Yeah, do we run from our responsibilities before God? Do we sleep while other people are perishing? Do we, do we recite the creed but not live by it? I'm going to extend on a couple of things even more in a minute, but you're exactly right. I mean, you know, it's, it's easy to look down on Jonah, but if we look at ourselves, sometimes we're very Jonah-esque. It's easy to do what he did. Other thoughts? Well, I think we think so much of the physical with him. Well, he physically fled, you know, so far away. It's like, well, it's just as bad if you're doing it, you know, spiritually. That's exactly right. You know, if you know to do good and you don't do it, it's sin. You know, it's so easy to avoid 
doing the things that didn't work in the same condemnation then as Jonah. Yeah, we may be passive aggressive, but how is it any different? Thirteen to sixteen. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life. Do not charge us with innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Okay, now look at verse 13. Jonah says, throw me overboard. That's not their first option. What do they try to do? Overcome it themselves by rowing. Who try to row back to the land. What would be their idea about that? Why would they, why were they trying to do that? They don't want to have Jonah's death on their hands. That's exactly right. They are concerned for Jonah's life. If they can get back to land and throw him out, he'll be okay. They throw him out in the middle of this stormy sea, he's a god. So they put God puts Jonah in a situation a lot like the Ninevites, doomed to die because of his wickedness. And in contrast to Jonah's lack of concern for Nineveh, the sailors are concerned for the plight of Jonah, even though he's the one responsible for all this chaos they're going through. That's really interesting, how concerned they are for Jonah's life when Jonah wasn't concerned for the Ninevites. But God was not in favor of their less radical solution. The storm gets worse and worse. He blocked their effort to row back to the shore. The situation is getting grim. They're running out of options, running out of time. So they don't really feel like they've got much choice, but they're not real comfortable about this. What do they say to God? Don't hold us accountable for what we're about to do. It's not our fault. You know, we, we, you didn't give us any other options. I mean, you know, don't, don't condemn us for his blood. He is a prophet of God. Do you want to throw a prophet of the God who threw the storm on the sea out into the sea? You know, that's kind of a scary thought. They're, they, they're reluctant. But they really feel like they have no other options. So they beg God not to hold them responsible for this man's life. Now they want to make absolutely sure they're doing what God wants. And I love the last statement, verse 14. For you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. That is the theme of Jonah. We're going to see that a lot more later. Um, Who is the main character in Jonah? Well, when I was a kid growing up, I assumed it was the fish. But the fish is only found in three verses in Jonah. I believe in the fish, but the fish is not the main character in Jonah. Then I thought the main character was Jonah. No, 
the main character is the Lord. By the time we get to the end of the book, we're going to see that a lot more strongly. But this statement that the sailors make, you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased, I believe is the point and theme of Jonah. You can think about that as we continue looking. So, they treat Jonah like the cargo that they jettisoned. They threw him overboard. Now look at this. God hurled the wind wind, and the storm began. <clears throat> they hurled Jonah and the storm ceased. That was pretty incredible. That would make a believer out of you, wouldn't it? And so they feared the Lord greatly, offered a sacrifice, and made vows. Basically, Jonah converts the pagan sailors, the very thing he didn't want to happen to Nineveh. In some ways, whether we like it or not, we're not going to be able to escape the service of God and uh, having an impact. God's going to use our life rebellious or obedient. I want you to think about some of the contrasts between Jonah and the pagan crew. Especially I want to focus on a couple of points. Think about how the pagans were more devoted to prayer than Jonah was. Now, they're praying to idols that can't possibly help, that can't do anything. But they're praying. Jonah could pray to the true God who made the sea and the dry land, and he's not. What's wrong with that picture? You know, it's just a shame that the only one in the whole story who knows the real God doesn't pray to him. The ones who don't know who God is are praying to the figments of their imagination. I was developing this lesson years ago when I lived near Louisville and I heard on a radio news summary that I think it was going to be the second to the last Billy Graham crusade was going to be that night in a big stadium in Louisville. And that there were teams of um, religious people from various churches that were at the stadium that day praying over each row of seats and in some cases each individual seat for the people who were going to occupy those seats that night that they'd be converted or whatever by the crusade. Now we look at that and we say, yeah, but most of those people weren't Christians and God will listen to their prayers. Well, hello. How is it that the people that we believe God won't hear their prayers are more dedicated to praying than those of us who say, but but God will listen to us? Well, if he will, why aren't we praying? It is a shame when we are shown up in praying by the people who God doesn't even listen to. That ought not to be. If we're saying, well, I do know the true God and I really can pray and God will listen to me, then it's an outrage that we're not praying. There are non-Christians in the true biblical sense that pray a whole lot more than most Christians do even though God's really not listening. That ought not to be. And I think they share their faith more too, oftentimes. Second point. Absolutely. Think about this. They were trying to spare Jonah's life while Jonah wanted Nineveh destroyed. They cared more about Jonah than Jonah cared about the Ninevites. I, years ago, probably probably in the late 1990s, early 2000s, 
I was knocking on people's doors, and I knocked on this guy's door to set up a Bible study, and he said, I'm about to move. But he told me where he was going to move to. It was actually closer to the church building than where I was. He was going to move in a few weeks, so I gave him a few months, and I went to where he told me he was moving. And sure enough, he was there. I set up a study for 5 o'clock on Wednesday afternoon. <clears throat> so I showed up, and I went in, and we started the Gospel of Mark together, and we read the first eight verses, and we talked about them. Then I said, now would you read verses 9 to 15? He said, yes, but first I've got a question. He said, I want to know why you're trying to teach me. He said, I know you're Jehovah's Witness, but why are you trying to teach me? I said, well, I'm not Jehovah's Witness. He said, oh, well, I thought you were. Why did he think I was Jehovah's Witness? Exactly. Isn't that outrageous? You ever studied Jehovah's Witness doctrine? Whoa, it's way not biblical. Look, it doesn't say they'll ask you to have a Bible study, and I've said yes sometimes, and they, they come to me, and they don't bring the Bible with them. I said, whoa, 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 I thought we were going to study the Bible together. <laughs> so isn't it outrageous that the people who don't know the truth are more zealous to convert people? We would say, yeah, but we, we use the Bible, and we, we, we know what's right. Well, then how come we're not the guys who are doing the teaching? Shouldn't it be that he would have said, well, I know you're a Christian. Shouldn't we be the people who everybody knows is going around talking to everybody about the Lord? I mean, it's like we can be smug about, well, we know, we know, and we're there. But it's so inconsistent for us to know and not act. You would assume the guy who's got some you know, dirt on his face had not looked in the mirror. When he says he has and he knows it, he hasn't changed, it doesn't make any sense. Those of us who know and don't do, it's ridiculous. So I think there's a great lesson in how much the pagans were more advanced than Jonah in actual practice. And I wonder if that's not a really good lesson for us. Should we not be praying more and teaching more than Christian religions that really don't know Christ. Thoughts and comments? It reminds me of uh, the apostles, you know, saying we can't stop talking about what we've seen or what we've heard. You know, and so he got that comparison. Then he got some of the other Jews, you know, who were enraged that they were, that the Gentiles were being saved. Thing. So, yeah, good point. Yeah. We can't start talking about it sometimes, it seems like, and they couldn't stop. So we need to really take a, you know, inspiration from the early Christians. Other thoughts? Well, you've got the fish rescue. Once 